What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark, and with me always are Dave and Jared. And today we have a very special guest. She's a lifelong friend of mine. Um, she's an eating disorder survivor and currently in recovery. And I'm very happy to have Sydney here. Um, and Sydney, I'm super excited for this episode because you know, we, we deal with a lot of substance abuse and, you know, alcoholism, and it's the first time we get to have a discussion um, kind of outside of that realm, and I'm very thankful that you, you know, you've reached out to me, and I'm very thankful for that, and I can't wait to hear your story, and I know that's going to help a lot of people, so thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me, all three of you. I'm excited for this. <laughs> I've been waiting. <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. Sydney, so let's start out. Where are you from? Originally from Corner Brook, Newfoundland. I'm currently living in Edmonton, Alberta. Made the move about seven and a half um, years ago, going on eight, and loving it up here. What's your favorite part about it? Ah, <sighs> uh, well, you being from the same place, you would know that. Like, not much to do back home compared to being up in Alberta, but I think it's just the never ending knowingness of that. There's festivals always during the, the summer, like Edmonton literally is like festivals and like events and stuff going on. So there's never like really a dull moment. Like I, even if I don't go to something, I know that, that there is something to do regardless. Um, West Edmonton mall. Love it. Um, I don't get sick of it. I thought moving up here, I'm like, okay, I'll go once or twice here and there. But no, I'm, I enjoy going quite often. <laughs> Even if I don't buy anything, just so people like look around, uh, look at people, look at stores, just take it all in. But no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it up here. Plus our winters up here are a lot different. So a lot more dry. Uh, you're not cold to the bone. <laughs> compared to a Newfoundland winter like I don't feel like I'm constantly like cold like I was there like I'm still cold to a different extent yeah. um but at least I know that I can warm up if I throw a heater or a blanket on me compared to home like I felt like I was wet to the bone I've explained that to people and they don't because it's colder here like you see like temperatures like minus 40 and shit yeah. but it's never it's different it's like the moisture in the air back home kind of makes you more cold I think a hundred percent. The moisture makes, even if it was like minus 10 with the moisture and mm. comparable up here to minus 40, it's just that dryness. Yeah. It kind of like cuts you like glass, but then you like go inside and then you warm up and then you're good. Yeah, absolutely. Is Newfoundland uh, colder than Ontario? See, that's what we're talking about. Like this, this winter, like in Ottawa, it was like minus 35 mm. frequently, but it feels different. Like you're cold for like, you get the chills type thing. Yeah. It's tough to explain. And you don't really get it. Like you probably don't get what I'm saying. Sydney, you I, do. Yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. Cause it's like that, even from, I'm up in like Northern Ontario, <laughs> Sault Ste. Marie compared to like Toronto, like Toronto gets cold. You get those wind tunnels down there. It's like, it really cuts you hard. And then up here, it's like, it gets, everyone's like, you're crazy for living up there, but it's, it's cold, but it's not really, right it doesn't least. feel that much colder at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sydney. So let's get started. Tell us all about you. Uh, well, what do you want to know? I'm 33. Um, I work in post-secondary. I've worked in post-secondary since I was 19. Uh, 
been sticking with that route. I'm big fitness junkie, love makeup, love gaming. I'm a huge geek. I love gaming, love comic books, love cosplay. So like as much as I love makeup, clothes, fashion, nails, like I'm a big girly girl, but I'm also that girl that if you want to hop on a video game or play a board game or like read a comic with you or go to Comic-Con, I'm there for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Comic-Con's this September. We haven't had it in two years because of COVID. So I cannot wait. I've had a costume for two years and I can finally wear it. <laughs> what's what's the costume? I'm going to go as, anymore. yeah, the white queen from X-Men, Emma Frost. So it's a, okay. it's a quite revealing costume, but I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can we ask about your eating disorder? Anything you want to know, go ahead and ask me. Can you kind of tell us what it looked like? I don't want to like, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. So I've had both anorexia and bulimia in my life. Um, I'm 33. Like I mentioned, I've had anorexia basically since I was 13. Um, on and off, um, went basically eight years or 10 years, sorry, hardcore on and off with anorexia and start doing bulimia when, it was a situation that you could only start covering up you not eating for so long. <laughs> and like the thing was, I would have moments where yes, socialization, I would eat, but I would try to watch what I'm eating. But it was the situation that I dealt with body issues for the majority of my life. Um, I was really sick when I was about 13, 12, 13 years old. Um, they didn't know what was wrong with me at the time being. Uh, pumped with steroids because at the time being 12 years old, they didn't know what was going on. They thought it was my asthma because um, I have respiratory issues. They couldn't figure it out. I was hospitalized, given steroid after steroid after steroid, ended up gaining a lot of weight, was bullied in junior high, was mood at, um, picked on by the other girls. So it was difficult that way because it's a situation, you're 13, you're going through puberty or uh, trying to go through puberty, but my body got stunted from all the hormone, not the hormones, sorry, the, all the, um, the steroids that I was on. So I didn't go through puberty until I was about 16. I ended up like losing weight, um, reducing my calorie intake, really trying to like work out a lot, started hitting the gym when I was 14 um, and really started doing like Pilates and whatever I could to lose the weight. And then by the next year, like people like, oh yeah, like let's move at Coombs when she walks in jokes on you bitches I'm already here grew up my hair was skinnier and it's like yeah I'm here didn't realize I was already in the classroom when they said that they're going to do it but um <laughs> yeah so that was the thing I started off starving myself whenever I could trying to look good addicted to working out on and off throughout the years and started like maintaining the 115 weight mark like and even like graduating high school, going in the post-secondary, very looking back thin, like wanting to look like a Victoria's Secret model, always having that body issue with myself, never content of how much working out I could do, how much cardio I could do, um, how thin I wanted to be because with an eating disorder, you don't visualize yourself the way that you look. Like at the time being 115, 118, 120 pounds, I thought I looked as if I was 400 pounds. I didn't visualize myself the way that I was. So seeing myself, I could never be content. Tying in, yes, I was never content with my body. 
but also tied in that I wasn't content with my body because I didn't know who I was. I didn't accept who I was. I'm a trans woman. I'm very also lucky to be able to live as a trans woman and be seen as passable in what we say in the trans community that I could walk in the street without someone knowing that I'm trans. And not that it's a bad thing. I'm very happy with who I am. I accept who I am, but it's also the situation is still in a life that you have to somewhat fear not only as a trans woman, but as a woman in general. I, I still can't fully be 100% content knowing that I'm gonna be safe being a woman. But that all tied in to me not accepting who I was and not figuring out what's going on with 13, 14, 16, 18 year old me, not accepting who I was, not accepting my body, hating my body. Um, but a time, I would say it was around 22, 23, um, it was the situation that because it was kind of coming on, you can only say so much that I already ate or no, thank you. I'm not hungry before someone says, is everything okay? So because people were starting to pick that up and it was kind of rumors going around that I had an eating disorder, denial that I had an eating disorder, even though I was actively starving myself, actively taking diet pills as much as I could actively working out as much as I could that I had to switch it up. So I started binging and purging. So it would be to the point that like 22, 23 year old me would start eating whatever I could. I would go pick up Luigi garlic fingers. I'd go to McDonald's and get burger and fries. Then I would go pick up something else, binge it all, and then shove the two fingers in my throat, getting to the point that being bulimic, that I had to get down to here in order to really get that purge to actually happen because my body was just so used to it and it's gotten to the point now when I go to a dentist or if I have a new dentist when they look at my teeth they're like oh you have erosion in the back and I'm like yeah I know that I was bulimic you don't need to tell me I'm quite aware that my teeth have a little bit of erosion in the back but then they say oh it's not as bad as we thought it would if you said that you had bulimia it doesn't look like to that extent that we've seen in bulimic patients so um yeah can I just interrupt for one sec? Of course. Yes, go right ahead. I actually had a question on the, I was going to ask you a question on the binging and purging. Yeah. I was just wondering, well, I was going to say, did you, did you experience that? And did you experience a high from purging? See, the thing was yes and no. So like, I would feel really good in the moment, but also at the same time, I'm in an emotional breakdown every time I purged. So you get in that state of mind that, yes, this is my euphoricness that I'm able to now have that control. Because a lot of times when it comes to an eating disorder, it's about the lack of control in life. And now I can finally control something. So I'm able to control my food intake. I'm able to control throwing it back up. So I'm able to have that essence to say okay this is it I'm getting rid of this food and me again having that control but a lot of the time was it was me having an emotional breakdown every single time I'm having that purging moment because it's me not wanting to do it but it's also hitting myself but knowing how good I'm going to feel afterward mm -hmm. so anytime I got sick afterward in general and if I had a stomach bug I hated throwing up because I spent a good chunk of a year or two <coughs> And I'm like, I hate this. And I would put it in secret because it was around the time that marked that when we started being friends, that like I was in recovery with it and going to therapy, but also I would sneak off 
And like, I started hanging out with like you and Rebecca, I started hanging out with Tyler at this point and being like, excusing myself and being like, okay, I need to go right now. And if I wasn't starving myself, it was binging and purging. Like I would at a point, like kind of cycle through both towards the end of my recovery because it was the situation that I didn't want to just deal with one in the sense that all people were catching on. I, I start telling people, I remember like I had to open up to my family because it got to the point that I was losing myself and I didn't want to lose friends over it. I didn't want to lose loved ones. And people were really starting to figure it out because I was getting really, really tiny. So it was the point that I opened up to my family and said, you know what? I have an eating disorder. I want help. So I want to seek treatment. And I was given options of treatment. And I chose to stick in Cornbrook, deal with a psychologist. Is at the time too, this is 10, 11 years ago. So you have to think about 10, 11 years ago when it came to mental health and addictions in Newfoundland, that it was very hush hush, that it was very, don't tell anybody. But it was like, well, you know what? I am going to talk about it because we need to end this fucking stigma about it. It's to the point, guys, that I'm here dealing with an eating disorder, getting treatment for an eating disorder while being embarrassed about my eating disorder, but wanting to talk about it while posting signs because I was in a position where I dealt being in a university, working and student housing, had to do uh, sometimes monthly um, displays or events. During National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, I always did a display about eating disorders, talking about let's end this fucking stigma. And here I was being hush about mine. My work didn't know about it until I ended up my position and being eliminated. And then them realizing that, yes, my lunchtime going to a doctor's appointment was me going to therapy to be able to try to beat this because I was ashamed that I had to go to therapy and I had to go to basically rehab for it. And I was like, well, 10 years ago in Newfoundland, you didn't talk about it. I could have did what I did. I could have went to the eating disorder center in St. John's, but I didn't want to be isolated and away from my support system and basically thrown into a house and say, you know what, recover, eat this and be forced to eat and be sat down and watched while eating. I couldn't handle it. Sydney, I had, um, I had a question. So you mentioned that you started going to a psychologist. Were there times yeah. before that where you tried to stop by yourself and you were unable to do so? Like you're yeah. like, I'm going to stop doing this and then continue? Well, I, yeah. Like once you accept it, it's kind of the situation that I can't speak on behalf of what you guys have gone through with uh, any addictions when it comes to drugs. But I feel like it's kind of similar to that sense that once you have accepted it, once you know that you have a problem that you want to get help, that it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to do it myself. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this with anybody else. Um, trying to do it on my own, but it was always this situation that it's like, I couldn't, I would try. And then um, I deal with anxiety. I have basically like, like I, I was diagnosed, yes, with anxiety, but basically self-diagnosed with high functioning because I'm able to go through my day and no one would know how anxious that I am, but it would be to the point that like knowing myself that I'm like, okay, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I'm like bashing myself. So then I would end up being in a relapse. So it's like, okay, I can't do this to the point that I need to open up to friends. Like my closest friends knew I need help talking to friends, but friends can only take you so far. Friends are a great support 
family could be a great support. Yes, but they could only take you so far and it's not their job to get you out of a, uh, out of a relapse or to get you into recovery. It's yes for them to support, but I knew once I couldn't do it on my own that I'm like, okay, what are my options? Cause I can't do this on my own. Um, Sydney, what are some options for people with eating disorders that are looking for help, but <clears throat> don't want to actually talk to anyone or tell anyone about it? Yeah. So there is a organization, um, the national eating disorder awareness. Um, I think it's called NEDA, N-E-D-A. Like I did a lot of research. Um, I Googled eating disorder treatments, eating disorder awareness, being able to see what can I do to recover if I didn't want to seek treatment. So my options when I was in Newfoundland, and it could be different up here when I, where I'm in in Alberta right now, but overall, I think step one is to speak to your family doctor and see what's available in your local area because they would know what's suitable for that local area. Like for me, I was given the option, do you want to A, speak to a psychologist, B, do you want to go to a relapse center uh, for specialized eating disorders? Or do you want to just go with just your doctor alone and see how they deal with it? So I think it would depend on where you are because it, in a larger center like here in Edmonton, they probably have a lot of support here. They probably have different organizations that are able to help. I think number one is know your area. Google your area, see what supports are there in that area for eating disorders and speak to your family doctor and go from there. Oh, I just wanted to, uh, not to rewind too much, but I was just curious on, on the very start, like back, back up to, you know, when you were in junior high yeah. and, you know, the overweight, do you remember what your mindset was like when you first started to want to lose the weight? Was it, whether you were doing it in a healthy way or not, was it just to like get to a certain mark or weight and then it just kind of you were just never satisfied or were you yes and no and like to me like I look back I was and it's funny now like I look back at pictures of myself I was never deemed classified overweight I saw myself as overweight okay. but also like I said because I gained weight through the steroids that yeah I had weight on going from I was five three at in grade seven, grade eight. And then I grew in about grade nine, grade 10 to about five ten. So like my weight distributed a lot differently. Like it was in my face, it was in my stomach. So, um, yes, for a 12, 13 year old, I didn't like the way that I looked. It was overweight in my eyes at the time. Um, I think a lot of it stemmed from yes, not liking my body, but also not knowing who I was. I think since age of three ish, I knew that I was different. I knew that I wasn't a boy. I knew that I didn't like my body, but in the early nineties, you didn't see trans representation. So it was all this time from age of three on, until about 23, me not accepting myself, 24 even, me not accepting myself, not knowing who I am, figuring out who I was and denying myself all these years, hating my body because I didn't know who I was, but also not looking the way that I thought I should look not it was never about a number it wasn't me jumping on a scale and saying I want to get to say 90 pounds I want to get the 80 pounds I want to get the 70 pounds it was about how I looked but then the, the number on the scale was never enough like I could have got and there was one point that I said okay I'm going to make a goal weight as I'm losing weight let's get to 120 
let's get to 118, let's get to 115. But then it was never, I was never satisfied. So I said, well, it's not about the weight then, let's just lose this over, overall to see how skinny I could get. Let's see if I could maintain a zero pants. My, let's, I'll put it into perspective. My quads and calves were the same size when I was at the worst of my eating disorder, where I was about 22, 23 years old. Literally my leg was like one length. So it was literally like solid one length. So it wasn't about like, oh, I want to get skinnier based on my weight. It was me wanting to get skinnier because I was never content with my body. Even though it was like this as my leg, 115, 118 pounds, I still was like, I could lose more. It's not about what number I get to, it's about me being super, super thin because I look huge. Sydney, when I look back at like my addiction, um, there were there were a lot of warning signs. I think like kind of leading up to to the point where it got really bad. Um, is this something that you kind of feel like when you reflect back? Were you like, you know, it was probably a you know, it was a problem then, even though back then you didn't think so. Yeah, there were there were um, when you're starving yourself, and I don't know if it's the same thing when you are taking drugs because the only drugs I ever did were essentially diet pills. And I could get to a story of it one time when I knew that I needed to stop because I almost passed out um, because I was basically overeating. Um, but there was a time, Mark, that I knew it was a uh, situation that I was getting aggravated and short-tempered. And you know me, I'm a very easygoing girl. I'm a very public girl most of the time. It was getting to the point that I was just snapping for no reason at my family. I'm very close with my family. I love my family. My family is amazing. And I remember I would just snap at my mom and my mom is like my best friend. And I knew then like, if I'm snapping at my best friend and my family and just being short with whoever and being miserable at work and basically going to work every single day, hating my life and not knowing what to really do was that's when like was the kind of like okay shit need to get real like I need to do something about this yeah I, I get I'm really like I'm I keep comparing the two because like I think in my brain I, I just about to say that <laughs> yeah I think addiction like to my definition of addiction is continuing to do something despite the negative consequences yeah. right yeah so I, I keep seeing like the common factors, right? You mentioned like you're in denial and, and things like that. And I've just like, I find it so cool to just even just openly talk about all this. I don't know, that was a little ramble on for me, but. No, it's true though. So it's the situation that like, I, I knew that I was having issues, but I also didn't know what to do about it. Yep. Because I was ashamed of it. And I didn't want to have to say, I have a problem because I didn't want people to look down on me because I want it to be seen as this perfect life, this perfect, I'm going to say girl, even though I wasn't technically bodily female, but I was always, I was always Sydney. I was always the girl. So um, I knew even back then that it's like, okay, something's going on in my life. I knew, yes, I have an eating disorder. I know I'm battling with this, but fuck, like I need to start doing something about this because if I'm like literally like yelling at my parents, which I don't do, or yelling at friends or being short-tempered or literally being aggravated over the littlest thing, like someone could look at me the wrong way or breathe. And I'm like, I'm going to literally like destroy you. Like little 
115 pound me wanting to go like chihuahua mode or even like i speaking of i have a part chihuahua so like getting frustrated at her mm. at like and at that point her being like one or two years old because she's barking and me just snapping she's a dog she's gonna bark and me just losing my temper with the littlest things that's when i was like get the fucking help girl so that's when it was like let's do it. Like open up to my family. Cause I, I felt like I was going to lose friends and I thought that I was going to lose myself. I thought I was going to lose my life. Cause I would look at people who had eating disorders and I would research and look at celebrities who had it and like, saw yes, there were some that were fighting it. And I saw some that lost their lives with it. And I didn't want to be that number. I didn't want to be that statistic. So it was always that situation, I'm going to recover, I'm going to do better. But it was also the situation that I don't know if it's the same thing for you guys. But I found that every time that I went to therapy, as great as it was, I always relapsed that day. So I don't know if it would be the same thing for you guys. But anytime I left the psychologist's office, I always relapsed that day. Yeah, I relapsed twice. So like I relapsed almost immediately after I went to rehab for the first time. As soon as I got home, I did. And then I went another three weeks and then I relapsed again. And then I went back into treatment. So I can relate like after getting help because I don't know. And, and I could see it like, I could see it coming from a therapist too. Cause like you're, it, from my like point of view, like I think going to a therapist would bring up feelings and emotions that like, you don't want to, you don't want to deal with. And, no, and that's the whole essence of it and why they're doing it because yeah. they're bringing it out. Like mm-hmm. they're bringing out this voice that's telling me that I'm not worth it, that I'm ugly, that I'm fat, that I'm disgusting. Yeah. And I'm pushing it away. Yeah. Like, uh, it the way out. you've learned to deal with that voice is one thing, right? Yeah. So like, that's how I would, I can, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Sid- Sydney, when, uh, when did you let everyone know that you were, transitioning and did you find that helped you with your eating disorder to like be your own self um so I had recovered from my eating disorder um before I moved so around the time that Mark and I started getting close Mark and myself and Rebecca and Tyler um I was in the recovery on to the point of basically into a remission so 23, 24, I would say about 24 years old. Um, I then moved because I remember getting the phone call telling Rebecca and Mark and not wanting to go because they were like my closest friends and be like, oh, I got to figure this out. But it took me moving up here to accept myself. Okay. Now I'm in recovery of my eating disorder during this time. Um, but it made sense to me once I had then said to my best friends one evening, it was actually a Halloween party. I had pulled Tyler and Matt into the bathroom, crying my eyes out, saying, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, I'm transgender. And they both looked at me and said, we already know this. <laughs> We've known for years. Thank you for you catching up with us. But um, <laughs> it didn't made sense to me that I'm like, wait, I was never happy with my body. I want to look like a Victoria's Secret model since I've known about Victoria's Secret. I adored the Pink Ranger. I adored Buffy. I wanted to be these people. I wanted to be Trish Stratus. I wanted to be a WWE diva. But looking at these women that had these tiny waist, Barbie, wanting to be Barbie, like literally a human Barbie, tiny waist, big boobs, whatever I could do. So 
I think once I accepted who I was, luckily I was in a, a recovery and in my remission. So it opened my eyes to it. So like, luckily I wasn't um, dealing with my eating disorder when I had come out as transgender, but it did bring forth a lot of the light that it made sense to me afterward that they were coincided that yes, I still to this day deal with body issues. I still deal with um, overall having an eating disorder. I relapsed last year. I'm about 18 months into remission now. Um, I had a small about two and a half, three month relapse, which really took it out on me. Um, had a really hard time dealing with that. I had relapsed after eight years of being in remission and saying, I did it. I've come this far and I'm not going to give in, but I had a lot of stress going on plus COVID working from home, not seeing my friends, not seeing loved ones, being stuck in a house, had gained weight over COVID. So that then added more to it all. And then I just like restricted. So stopped eating very, uh, to some extent. And because I lived with somebody at the time, one of my best friends, um, and because I did all the cooking that it was sometimes hard, but at the same time, cause he slept in, I would say, the same excuse that I did when I was 13, 16, 18. Oh, I already ate. I'm not hungry. <laughs> so then I was kind of like, Sid, what are you doing to yourself? You did this. You're happy now. Remember, you can't do this. You have accepted yourself. You can't go through this again. So this, that relapse was shorter and a lot quicker in recovery because this recovery, I did it on my own. I took a month and a half off work. I had listed out what I needed to do this time around to my doctor and said, these are my things that I'm doing in this month and a half that I'm going to be off work. And then if they don't work, then yes, get me treatment. Awesome. Are you in any uh, support groups that help you get through those rough patches? I'm not. Um, my support group is my friends and my family. Um, and I know that there are support groups around for eating disorders uh i just haven't reached out and dealt with it in that capacity because it was also the situation that it was during COVID, and it was during the heavy point of everything shut down so i didn't really know how to handle it because it was so new to us all that it's kind of like even if there was a support group i'm like what what is the zoom call going to do for me <laughs> i looked at it that way and i was like how is this going to help me in order to recover from this so it was essentially like having de dealt with it and being eight years into remission I said you know what these are my steps because my thing is like I mentioned earlier I'm a big girly girl I do my hair I do my makeup I love my nails I love dressing up and working from home I did that every single day like I dressed up as if I was going into the office but there was a time when I started my relapse I stopped doing my hair. I stopped doing my makeup. I would log in and have no makeup on. I would stop doing my nails. And that's when people, and I would wear a hoodie. I would be in a dress or a, a, a blouse and a skirt while being on a, a Zoom call with my team or with students. And then I stopped caring. I start wearing hoodies. And that's when I was like, something's going on. And when I clicked in that, yeah, I've reduced my eating. I've reduced my calories. I've restrict it to the extreme that I'm like, okay, let's do this on your own. 
Not saying that that's the best route for anybody else. But for me, that was my best route because I had to start working out again at home. I had to start caring about myself and my body. I had to start doing my makeup again and go from there. That's some self-care and recovery, really. Um, what else do you kind of do to help your recovery stay successful? There's a few things. Uh, I make sure that I work out, whether it's at the gym or at home. Um, I talk to my friends. I'm very open. I, I'm very open with my boyfriend. I'm very open with my family. I'm very open with my friends. So it's about being open and honest of where I am in my recovery and how I'm feeling that day. That if I'm having a moment that it's kind of like I'm having a pretty shitty day to whoever, like my mom, I talked to, I talked to Tyler about it, talked to my boyfriend. He's super supportive because he, we started talking when I was in my relapse. So it was a situation that we started our kind of relationship with me being in my relapse. So it was kind of like, well, FYI, if you want to start something with me, I have baggage. <laughs> so there's that. There's working out. There's the self-recovery, knowing that, okay, let's have a bubble bath. Let's have that glass of wine and relax. Let's video game. Video games are super important to me to be able to log on the Overwatch or Fortnite and hop on with friends and be able to play a couple of rounds, get out my frustration, or to read a book and just be able to have that self-care, do my nails, doing my makeup. Part of it was, you know what? Like it's 10 o'clock at night, I'm having a shitty moment. Let's, let's go uh, break it a makeup palette and start doing my makeup. It may sound funny, but it, it's, it's what really helped me really kind of like say, you know what, let's focus on your, like as shallow as it sounds, focus on the parents. But that made me feel better to be able to get my mindset to say, I, I, if I look good, I feel good. Yeah, I agree. I think that whatever works for an individual in their recovery and makes you the best version of you, then stick to it. I like doing a face mask every once in a while. Makes me feel good. I don't mind the whole face mask. Yeah. It's complexion looking right. Sydney, I was going to ask you, sorry, Mark, um, just on you, you kind of talked on it briefly on kind of the pressures of like social pressures of magazines and things like that growing up. Um, you know, as you see us kind of going in the right direction in, in certain aspects of different body size women, uh, modeling, you know, whatever it is, how beneficial do you think that is? But also like we have a long way to go on, on certain aspects because I think of like social media and you can get kind of social media, I get fixated on one area and then you don't really see anything but that one, you know, type of woman, let's say. No, um, I think we have improved a lot. There's body positive people everywhere now. Um, there's models like Ashley Graham. There's musicians like Lizzo who are very body positive um, that are authentically themselves and embrace themselves. And I think we've come a long way, but there's still the situation that we're not there yet, no matter what, because you're still going to see comments and being like, look how fat she looks. Look how horrible she looks. Oh, or not only men saying it, women saying it. Oh, she shouldn't be wearing that. I wouldn't be caught dead in that if I was that size. Um, women support women. We should support each other. People supporting people. We should all support each other. You never know what someone's going through. So like, it's the situation that I could never look at someone and say, oh God, look how 
big she looks in that or that dress or top is way too inappropriate for someone her size. I think if you have the confidence, wear whatever the F you want to wear. <laughs> but I think we are not where we need to be. We, we are a lot better where we used to be. But um, social media helps, but at the same time, it's such a huge backlog of it and it pulls us back too because we're so vulnerable when it comes to social media that there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's TikTok that yeah, you could block the comments. But if you don't, there still could be that someone that's gonna comment on your video or your, po uh, your post and say something. Now that's a reflection on that person commenting, not on you. So that's one thing that I always say to take away from something if someone were to ever say something to me. Like my thing is I embrace who I am and embrace what I wear. If someone thinks I look like a slut because I'm showing off a little bit of cleavage, then so be it. If someone thinks that I should, shouldn't wear something because I'm not a size two, then so be it. But that's on someone's image of me, not my image of myself. That's a good point. I like that. Sydney, the, or when I, in high school, I've always struggled with fluctuation in my weight. <clears throat> and in high school, I was um, like weight shamed all the time in elementary school. And I learned in, re in rehab that that kind of like drove my confidence, helped drive my confidence and self-esteem so far down that drinking made me feel better and made all that go away. So I find I like uh, having these conversations because it, I hope people are more aware that how you treat others actually affects that person in the long term. Oh, 100%. Because not only that I used to get bullied when I was in junior high, I became the mean girl when I was in high school. I was Regina George, basically, at one point, if you guys don't know that reference, the main character. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I went from being the one picked on to being the one picking on people. Now, I was still, like, generally a nicer person at, to the extent, but I also knew that I was a bit of a bitch. So I look back at things and know that I've said things to people that I'm utterly ashamed that I would never think of it that way but it made me feel better in some way and like knowing that I was struggling trying to look better within myself and try to feel better within myself that if I could lower someone's self-esteem for I could feel a little bit better then I was going to do it but also that's when you're 17 18 years old and you're dealing with hormones and you don't know what's going on in your life and you're just struggling with life and trying to know what's the next step so we all do probably, things regrets. Yeah, it's probably like a defense mechanism too that's been ingrained in you as well, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not like that anymore. Thank God, I I grew up the yeah. next year. Like the thing is, like I'm, I will be there for anyone. I will be that person that anyone could talk to. My thing is, I'm a very empathetic person, and no matter what I'm dealing with, I will still be that shoulder for someone to cry on, no matter what I'm dealing with. Even like during my deepest relapse i wanted to be there for all my friends even if they couldn't be there for me but that's just me the moment that you got help uh, were you surprised when there was so much more to it than just stopping where you probably um well i can i can relate to myself so like i had to work on my mental health right i for a point i thought i was like just need to stop doing drugs but then there's so much extra work to do like you have to work on yourself you have to work on your mental health 
you have to address past issues mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Were you kind of surprised with that in recovery? Yes, because it was the situation that um, when I had it said to myself that I don't need the recovery of the sense of the psychologist anymore, it was still a lot of, I need to maintain this and to get away from self-perfection and knowing that I was good enough, but the know what my triggers were and not allow it, but to know what I needed to do. So looking back that, that knowing that, yes, is the sense that seeking the therapy helped, but at the same time, it opens up so many more doors to knowing what you need to do and what do I need to do. And at, and uh, like having questions that aren't able to get answered or at least by psychologists, cause it's the self questions and self answers that I needed to, to find out on my own. That no psychiatrist or psychologist would have ever said to me, because I had only seen a psychologist. It was going to get to the point that I needed to see a psychiatrist because my depression was so bad when it came to my eating disorders. Um, It was the situation that I was dealing with depression. I was dealing with anxiety, dealing with my, uh, not knowing who I was. I was in love with one of my best friends at the time and not being able to accept myself and saying, what the flying F is going on that this is a guy, I can't love this guy. Not knowing who I am, not accepting who I am. And then trying to deal with all this and trying to deal with everyday life and being trying to be an adult. So it was all kind of wrapped up in a, a bubble and trying to then just move on and push it aside. And I don't know if it's the same thing with addictions, but with for this, with my mental health and with the eating disorder, trying to push it away and push it back and say, you know what, I dealt with it, I'm done with it, I'm good. But knowing, no, you're not. Yeah, that's an awesome point. Um, Sydney, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I think overall, I think it ties in with eating disorders. Um, same thing with addictions that don't be ashamed of it. Like accept this vulnerability, accept this, um, issue that you're dealing with. Know that it does get better. It does get easier that you will get through it that there are resources for you, that you don't have to do it alone, that you may think you you could do it on your own. And yeah, power to you if you can, like the second time I did it on my own. But know that you aren't alone, that there are other people out there that have done it, survived it, got through it, or are dealing with it at the same time as you, that could be there for you. Like AA, there are support groups for eating disorders. So it's the situation knowing what resources are there in the area that you're there and to really just seek it because there's no point in you having to deal with it on your own when there are people out there who are willing to help you get better absolutely and we are going to include some resources in the description below (laughs) um (laughs) i did have one more i remember my question okay Um, i'm a big believer of just owning your truth and you know, whether it be addiction or your eating disorder, um, was there like a freeing feeling for you when you were like, you know what, this is a problem and I need to get help. And you talked to your family because you mentioned you had that discussion. <coughs> was there like a weight lifted off your shoulders? It was a huge weight off my shoulders because it was kind of the situation that, okay, at least they know. And once I had mentioned to my doctor that it's like, at least it's out in the open. Like you could tell your best friends and you could say, shh, secret don't tell anybody but it's also the situation 
of being able to talk to overall. Like my, my main eye-opening thing was when it was in my remission having my surgeries. So it was a situation that things were complete for me, that I had my augmentation, that I had my gender reconstruction surgery. And luckily it was in my remission, but to start my hormones, I was delayed to start them because I had an eating disorder past. Because estrogen causes weight gain, that it was a situation that I had to then speak with a psychiatrist and a psychologist to make sure that I wouldn't relapse. So it's the, it all made sense when it all tied together. Um, but that my aha moment that came in a couple of moments, it was, yeah, talking to my doctor, then finally being able to talk to a psychologist, but also you probably hear lazy now. Be <laughs> good. I'll put you out shortly. But it's also the situation that coming out was that weight off my shoulders. And then having the surgeries was the weight off my shoulders because it was the sense that I had my reconstructing surgery. I wasn't allowed to work out for a few months. Finally able to get back into the gym, start feeling happy because I had started gaining weight. But then COVID happened. And then that's what then triggered my relapse. But knowing that it's an endless cycle that I even remember in my recovery, my, my psychologist had said to me, not if you relapse, when you relapse. She was like, if you're going to take anything away, it's when you relapse, know what your triggers are and know what you need to do to recover yourself. Know that aha moment again and just get through it. Absolutely. Sydney, we are going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, like I said, I know this episode is going to help so many people. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add? Just essentially, no matter what you are dealing with, just accept yourself. Um, a little tie-in, if you're dealing with your gender, your sexuality, come out at your own terms at your own time. Um, I linked me not accepting myself with my eating disorder, endless loop. Not every trans individual is going to have an eating disorder, but also no matter what, biological women, biological men, cis, gender, same thing. Um, trans men, trans women, no matter who you are, if you're dealing with an eating disorder, because men can too, get the help you rightfully deserve and know that there are people that love you and that will listen. Absolutely. Thanks again so much, Sydney. Thanks, if you or someone you know are dealing with an eating disorder, please reach out and ask for help. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please like, subscribe, follow.